Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action and create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in the tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Donna Laughlin. Donna is the founder of LMGPR and is known for her work with futurists and innovators. She has launched more than 500 companies, taking them from stealth to market leaders since forming her agency in 2002. She is also the host of Before It Happened, a leading narrative podcast featuring visionaries and the moments, events, and realizations that inspired them to change our lives for the, for the better. Donna excels in the realm of storytelling and uses those skills to propel new companies into the mainstream. Welcome to the show, Donna. I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm excited to join you today. And uh, it's a it's a cool 72 degrees in, in Silicon Valley today. Yeah, in Arizona, it's 68, if you can believe it or not. I mean, it's just weird weather, but we're loving it. We can actually open our windows today. Nice. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, let's get started. So Donna, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Well, I say it's pretty much a happy accident. I, I didn't aspire to uh, to have a tech career, but I, I know back in you know the really early years, I was constantly, you know, my father's, I want to call his popular mechanics aid. So anything that my father was doing that was fixing uh, or making something, I was always there. So I always had this curiosity factor um, of being able to be, didn't make any difference if it was, you know, under the hood of a car or in, under the hood of an airplane or going to some science fair or, or National Geographic type of event. I was there. So it was always kind of, in, you know, in the back of my, uh, of, of, in my, uh, you know, upbringing. But I was a journalist first and I was a business and economics reporter. And when I came to uh, back to California to get my master's at UC Berkeley, I had options, very few options as a reporter, but the biggest and, and the most prolific option was to work in tech. So that was a, a natural, um, natural migration for me was to take that knowledge that I had as a child and all that curiosity of, of news reporting and then apply it into a, a tech reporting job. That's great. I love that you, um, your dad exposed you to so many things at an early age that got you probably interested in, and encouraged to do something in tech. Yeah, I know that STEM education is something that you know we hear daily now. But when I was a child, the word STEM was was you know it was not a word that was used. It was mm -hmm. just kind of organically that you went to school and you did your reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? Right. And and so I'm thrilled now that uh, girls are encouraged and and there's genderless education 
But mm-hmm. in the 70s, in, there was still a very much nomenclature that was, you know, boys math or that was girls yeah. math. Yeah. And so I took all the hard stuff, <laughs> all the hardcore stuff I could get. And oftentimes I was the only girl in the classroom and I aspired to you know, take the calculus and the trig and the biology and the physics and everything else that I could get my hands on. But it was discouraged more than encouraged. And uh, now I'm so excited because um, my own daughter is, you know, studying, you know, neuroscience and social science and molecular biology and all these things that I didn't even aspire to do. And, And even younger generations, K through 12, that I volunteer with, these kids are so bright. And they they have so much um, enthusiasm and resources, and I think people like us are are gateways to in- encouraging that enthusiasm. I completely agree. So it's it is changing. I mean, definitely girls are going more into sciences, but we need to really we have a long way to go to get more girls aware of technology and STEM so that, you know, in 20 years, we're not in the same problem of declining women in technology. Well, not just that. And, and, and there's the technical difficulty and jobs are changing, right? And and so I, I often see um, job postings that will say open for six months to a year. And I talked to a couple of my professional, you know, uh, STEM educated women in, in, that are engineers and and scientists and they said, well, just the skill sets aren't aren't there. And so we need to encourage, you know, the younger generation and regardless of, of you know, gender, there's gender, the, the, the borders are open <laughs> and, right. and just encouraging kids to um, to really explore. And I know it's been hard during COVID for kids not having maybe some of the hands on experiences, but. I remember just as a kid, little things that made a difference in my life, such as collecting rocks. I know that sounds really trivial, but I had a box, a shoe box that I had decorated with with paper that looked like nature. And it started out as a Girl Scout project, but then it just continued. And that that little box of rocks became an entire project that ended up becoming a science fair competition that ultimately led to a scholarship, a very sizable scholarship in my my junior year junior year of high school and so those little things like that do matter so whether it's going to a science museum or watching a science show or youtube flick that's you know about you know climate change or uh, sustainability or you know going to space and aviation and all these things all that exposure helps kids at a very young age absolutely very impressive i love your background and how you're just you know, um, you had that desire to be in the harder stuff, the boys type stuff at that time. But, you know, now it's like it's really sought after. So that's amazing. So you're an expert working with futurists and innovators. So tell us more about the work that you do in this space. It's really fascinating to me. Yeah, so I I really am this nice you know, the Silicon Valley has really no no boundaries either. Um, <clears throat> Silicon Valley is really, you know, kind of the, the world of innovation and futurists and visionaries. So I work with a lot of, I'm going to call them futurists and, and innovators of not just uh, products, but big ideas as well, things that are actually cause-driven. So 
sustainability and robotics and artificial intelligence and uh, any product that ultimately or technology that can help make our world better, not just our lives better, but our world better. And so working with um, these, these experts sometimes starts on a napkin or a whiteboard. Sometimes there's no whiteboard, so we just start in a napkin. It's even started on a paper towel or a menu <laughs> in the past. And sketching out not just what they, they've created, but imagine the possibilities of change. And that's really where I come in, is looking at their authentic back-end story and helping them bring it to life so that people like you and, and me can actually then say, aha, so this is actually going to change the way, you know, we farm. This is actually the way change, you know, the the, the mobile workforce or the um, the industrial workforce, right? So robotics and artificial intelligence often can be seen as, ooh, the scary technology. But when you apply them and put them in the world that we live in, the real world, then you start seeing the capabilities and the possibilities. Oh, these robots can save lives. These robots could actually prevent somebody falling from a death-defying skyscraper cleaning the windows, right? So there's just a couple of examples of standing back and looking at not just the technology and innovation, but it's a lot like, you know, the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places We Will Go. <laughs> it's like, where where is the imagination and where is this innovation going to take us? And that's what really gets me excited. I love that. That gets me excited too. And it just, you know, you look at our technology and and you say, oh my God, five years ago, I would never imagine, you know, or 10 years ago, I'd never imagine that my phone would be my camera, my clock, my, uh, you know, everything that I do, I live in that phone in the apps and it's just changing so fast. And do you remember your first phone camera? <laughs> I do. And, and how that, that exciting moment I know. And now every time I get a new phone, it gets better and better when I think it's not even possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Can yeah. you imagine what, what somebody like, uh, uh, you, you know, just any of the, the great photographers in, in history, if they had this access that we have today, I know and it just would be, it was like astounding. Like, you know, would, would, uh, you know, you know, what, what, what would the imagery look like? And I recently interviewed uh, Steve Sasson, who is part of he, he is actually he's the creator of the of the digital camera as we know oh, it okay. and he created it at Kodak. And mm. so I was fascinated by his back end story just because I really didn't know. You know, I was curious, like, well, where, where, how was the camera created? And there is a, a whole uh, society um of innovators, uh, and I'll think of the, the name in a, in a second here, um, that basically every year there's there's a, a, an award that goes out to um, innovators, and he was one of the honorees last year. And when I discovered him, um, I just, I couldn't hear, you know, the story was just amazing. And then he had a moment where he was at Yellowstone National Park, and he looked around and he saw everybody taking pictures of the geyser with his with their mobile phones. And that's when he realized that his invention had a purpose. <laughs> so going yeah. back to the idea of having purpose, right? And, big purpose. you know, like you, sometimes I go to the store and I, you know, big box store or a tech or, you know, computer store, whatever they may be. Um, National Inventors Hall of Fame. That Take a look at that. It's an amazing site of 
of inductees from decades back. We're talking, when we go back all the way, you know, um, century, actually, I was uh, not just decades, but scientists and inventors and, and, and explorers and people that have done just amazing, amazing things. So take a look at that. And I think it really goes back to that, you know, science fair that I was talking about is mm-hmm. that these early development things that we expose kids to, whether the museums or digital content that I look through the National Inventors Hall of Fame and I, w- I was my, my, you know, it was everything from just, you know, medicine and, and technical, you know, gadgets that I have in my home or I have on my body. I mean, it just any and everything that has been invented that's been that you know is the original McCoy so to speak is featured on that site and oh, i oh, i've shared yes. it with i shared it with my 4 year old great niece mm-hmm. and i said look at this and she got so excited because there was um the the creator of video well what's her number one thing to do when she's not playing with blocks and puzzles is video right, right. That's amazing. I will definitely check out that site. I'm curious now. (laughs) Um, So I understand you've launched over 500 companies. Wow. Can you tell me more? Well, thankfully, not all at the same time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would be asking you, when do you sleep? (laughs) I I love sleep. I have something in common with Arianna Huffington. I love my sleep. over a course of you know 20 years, I, I started my business um, shortly after I adopted my kids from Russia, and I wanted to create agility, not balance, because there's no such thing as balance. I really don't, unless you're in a balancing act. But um, but I I wanted to uh, create a, you know a better lifestyle, and I love working with emerging markets and emerging technologies, and that's really my sweet spot. So I was working with artificial intelligence and autonomous and um, IOT before they were in consumers hands and if they were industrial grade. So um, those, you know, all, all these bright minded, um, you know, innovators and technologists and, and scientists that I work with are really at the, at the early stages of these technologies before they become real products. So those 500 plus companies, and right now I, I'd say I'm probably working with uh, 10 that fall in that same category. None of them are alike. And it, there is a template process that I put into place, which is sitting down, and starts with the napkin, as I mentioned, helping them curate their authentic story, not losing sight of like, why did they actually get out of bed? Why did they actually decide that they were going to mortgage their house, sell their car, trade down their dog to a cat? or whatever it took, right, uh, to bring their idea to market. And that that's what I, I, I catalog this kind of group of people as acorns. Every oak tree ultimately starts from an acorn. And these acorn ideas and these, and these thoughts actually are planting seeds for something bigger. And there's a lot of talk in Silicon Valley and in the in the financial uh, sector about unicorns and the unicorns of these billion dollar companies, right? I've worked with a lot of publicly traded companies, and they're they're fantastic to work with. But you can't move as fast as you can with an acorn because we can we're pre-compliance, pre uh, pre-public, you know, trading. So we have a lot more creativity and a lot more agility to make things happen. 
And so the, the template in place would allow me, you know, to work hands-on, tell that authentic story, take the story to market, test it, forget, you know, focus group, feedback, experience, and then bring it to market. And we typically can do that in under 90 days, believe it or not. So it's fast wow. and furious, but it's fun. <laughs> I bet it's fun. I'd, I'd love, love, love to learn more about that. That The template sounds amazing. In fact, I have um, one that I did in 10 days. I shouldn't admit that because that's not going to wow. be my standard. But I had 10 days to uh, bring an electric motorcycle uh, product to market uh, out of Canada, Damon Motors. And now it's two years later and we have more than 40 million in orders. Oh, my god! So gosh. we went from Acorn to a very fastly growing, it will be a unicorn company. And That's I'm really, easy. I'm really proud of that. The types sure. of things that we can do collectively as a team, and when you have focus and you are, you know, the leader of the pack, literally in this case, and being disruptive, um, that's a lot of fun. Well, obviously your template is stellar because if you can take it to market in ten days, that has to have every little piece in there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. Did you know that there is an increase in the number of women leaving the tech industry? As a woman-owned business, Directions Training has made it our mission and passion to change this statistic. That's why Jennifer created this podcast. We showcase insight from everyday women for everyday women in the tech industry. Do you know other people that would benefit from tuning in? Share the link and help us drive the advancement of women in the tech industry. Do you have a journey or know of someone that our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Reach out to us at directionstraining.com slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and wherever you find your podcasts. Now, back to the show. So let's talk about your podcast, Before It Happened. Please share with us the focus and ideal guest for your podcast. Yeah, before it happens, you know, I was going to sit down and write a book and <laughs> I'm still going to get to it. But um, writing a book just takes a little bit more quiet time than than I've had to do. So before it happened um, is really a lot of the thoughtful conversations that I've had with scientists and innovators and futurists. And these aren't all technology people. These are people and these that are really cause driven. So looking to uh change the world. And I really focus on that moment before it happened, before they became the company, you know, that they, that they ultimately became. So I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Monarch Tractor is a, a autonomous, sustainable electric tractor company. And what's exciting about that story, as much as they're being disruptive and changing the market, their real exciting uh, back-end story is that there was a culmination of a transportation expert, a fourth generation winemaker from a legacy winemaking family and the Mondavi family, an artificial intelligence expert, and a Tesla Gigafactory EV expert. The, the fact that the four of those came together and were able to brilliantly develop and create the Monarch electric tractor is the back-end story. That's the before-it-happens story. Everyone just sees the excitement around the tractor, but the journey would have never happened if that moment didn't happen. And that's what I really uh, oh, I zoom that. in on. 
Yeah. Um, so it really take you on a journey before it happened, you know, before the innovator and the ideas. And and these these are, you know, Disney uses the word imagineer. These, mm-hmm. these individuals are really that imagineer. So my guests in, include every, you know, from, from STEM education to uh, I have, uh, you know, Tyler Florence, who is a food mm-hmm. Uh, a well-known uh, celebrity food uh, chef. I just had a an expert on sprouts, who you know thinks and 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 intends on that the world could actually be fed on on just pennies a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have automotive and transportation experts. I have uh, professors. Uh, I have Harvard and Yale professors. I have Stanford professors. Uh, Neurologist, uh, neuroscientist, <laughs> I even, love the, it. even the inventors of the sports bra that will be and on the in a few weeks. The beginning story is so inspirational, I think, you know, because it gets people in that mode to say, oh, I could do that, you know? Yeah. Well, I really want people to be excited to maybe they have their own dream or idea that they want to bring to market, whether it's whether it's a, you know, a, a business, a restaurant, or mm-hmm. just looking at something differently. And I think it really comes back to, I was describing photography. If we look at the world differently and we look at the, if we look at light differently, morning light is different than evening light than afternoon. And if we look at each day in that regard, we're, we're going to see things differently and the possibilities open up. So I'm hoping that when people listen to um, the various episodes that they'll be ignited and excited to go out and facilitate change to. Yes, no, I agree. Um, I just think that so much, I love what you said about look at the world differently. The morning light is different than the evening light. And what came to my mind is that, Jennifer, you need to really go and see the light. <laughs> because sometimes I'm so overwhelmed with my schedule that I don't stop to smell the roses. And that's when the best ideas come to you is when you can stop to smell the roses. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think what started with this podcast is I, I had this, you know, it was there uh, and how I finally, I took a long morning walk with my dog. Mm-hmm. I have a little mm-hmm. wire fox terrier. I don't know who was walking whom. I think she was probably <laughs> walking me. And I finally just said, okay, I got to do this. And I need a team uh, because I don't know, uh, you know, there's a lot of DIY ways to do these things. But mm-hmm. I was like, I needed a team. So I, I've assembled a, a great writer and a great producer and 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 marketing and collectively put it t- together. Mm-hmm. I didn't follow my own rule, I will say. Um, the, my 90 day rule, because I did have it in my head for over a year. And then of course the pandemic hit. And then I finally just said, okay, I'm not waiting anymore. Right. So when we first uh, rolled out, I, I know within the first 90 days, we had the makings of the show and, and a calendar and, and, and guests, but um, we officially launched in, uh, in early summer. Um, and now we're, you know, we're booked all the way through uh, the first few months of, of next year. Um, with with you know it's things are in the vault which is great and now I actually have time don't laugh to start my book nice I'm that's hope for me because I want to have a book too I want to write a book but haven't got there yet and And the morning walks the morning walks so I see the new light in the morning walks (laughs) yeah that's right that's great you're inspiring me Donna 
Um, okay, so you also love the art of storytelling, which you're doing an amazing job. I'm, you're, you inspire me by the stories you tell. How do you use storytelling to propel companies into their into the mainstream? Well, every day <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm crafting new stories uh, because the market changes. Um, mm-hmm. Anything can change, right? And so, as a as a communicator, you you can't just live in the bubble of of isolation of that your company, your company story, your products are are not um, you know are not necessarily uh, going to you know sustain or weather the storm. So, looking at the market conditions, looking at the, you know, meaning stock market as well as competition and looking at uh, any vulnerabilities, looking at, you know, customer behavior, social communication, social, you know, social commentary, all those, all those things um, can make or break a company brand and, and perception. Right. And so continuously looking at, you know, where there's new opportunities, um, you know, not just you launch a product and, the work isn't done. I always tell people it's just begun. So how do you how do you ensure that you're always going to be relevant is one of the questions I constantly look at my clients and, and look at not just my clients, but look at other things. I don't work with Apple Computer, but I love to look at Apple Computer in general to see what's next and what and how they bring products to market because they're always relevant, right? And I think that's one of the the things that most companies aspire is they they not only want to be on on the cutting edge of innovation and technology, but you need to make sure that you're capturing the hearts and minds of your customers. And so staying relevant is is a huge component of you know something that I constantly are looking at. Yeah, no, that's great. So, what's the one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? You're incredibly um, successful, but have there been any lessons learned? Oh, daily. Um, you know, the one thing that I wish I had learned was to probably just, uh, I, I think I would have taken more time to early early on to collect all the addresses and the phone numbers. Remember the big Rolodex that we had before LinkedIn? Well, when LinkedIn came along, I stopped collecting, you know, the equivalent to business cards because you uh-huh. just connect with people on LinkedIn. Right. But LinkedIn has become such a powerful business tool, and I still collect business cards, you know, in the few meetings that I, I do in person lately. But the giant Rolodex that was in, that was passed down to me when I was a reporter at Reuters, and it was this massive triple Rolo um, uh, card index, right? You know, the kind that with the, you spin around and 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 you tape the. Oh, the glue I had the, one of those. <laughs> right. Well, the managing editor. He was retiring and he gave it to me and he says, this is yours, kid. It will probably be useless in 10 or 20 years. It was almost like he forecasted what was going to happen. And I kept that for many years. But I wish I would kept more business cards because I feel I'm really connected and like to stay connected. Mm -hmm. But I know along the way I've lost a few contacts in the mix pre-LinkedIn that I would have liked to go rediscover and put in LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true. Actually, not too long ago, about a week ago, I went through a drawer and I was cleaning it out and I had like, I'd say maybe 300 business cards in there. And so I went through each one of them and 
send out a LinkedIn request. I'm like, I don't know if these people are going to remember me or not because these were the old days, you know. And I was pleasantly surprised how many people accepted my invite. And so, you know, yeah, it does come in handy. So you're right. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing I I I, I wish I have no regrets, but I think one of the things that I, I wish I had done, I went to UC Berkeley. And I was constantly going through the School of Engineering and Sciences because those that was my major. And I, I, I was hoping the DNA would just fall on me. And so over the years, I've, I, I'm a little bit of a collector crab. And over the years, I've assimilated a lot of knowledge, non-textbook knowledge, but from brilliant people that I've worked with. And I wished I was actually brave enough to challenge the status quo and have gotten a STEM based degree or at least a minor journalism with a minor in computer science or in mechanical engineering or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, that would be the only thing that I, that I think I would have done differently because I think it would have been a huge advantage and going back to my, my, my cry for in, on, on STEM is I think the more STEM education that we have, the more cognitive skills that we have, the faster we can run and learn, particularly when you're working in in, in arenas such as technology where I am, right? And so I've I've learned uh, and sometimes slowly, but always steadfastly things that maybe I could have learned, you know, in a classroom, but mm-hmm. I learned them on the job. And yeah. so I, I still think that's, um, you know, the, my career has been really good to me give me the opportunity and the fortitude to be able to learn a lot of a lot of science and and and, and math based things literally being yeah, paid done, to do it <laughs> you've done an amazing job yeah <laughs> so yes as much as you could have had that stem piece i think you've made up for it in many ways and got that stem education in different ways so that's that's great so who are three people that have been the most influential to you Wow. Well, my dad, of course, um, <laughs> because of his constant taking me to the library and exposing me to, you know, everything from, you know, science and space and and archaeology and and uh, geology and, and aviation and everything in between. Um, when I was about 11 years old, I won a writing uh, contest and I was able to go on the Jacques Cousteau explorer ship um, based and they came to San Francisco Bay Mm -hmm. and I was one of 10 kids and I got to spend 30 minutes with, with Jacques Cousteau and his son one-on-one and ask them anything. And I remember I was scared Mm -hmm. and they, of course they gave me saltines because I was seasick. (laughs) <laughs> and and I just like, okay, this is that moment, that moment you've been waiting for. And now, you know, what are you going to do? One of the first papers that I wrote, uh, at professional, when I say papers, but an article that I wrote um, ha- happened to be um, all about the, the sea and, um, you know, the pollution and the environment. And I pulled that, that experience out of my back pocket just when I needed it, right? It was like a, oh, I can actually dig. I have a resource for that. I can dig back. Um, so that was very influential because that actually gave me the, this street cred that I needed that I actually could call upon 
you know, Jacques Cristol's son and the research group, and they responded, wow. and that gave me some my some clout. And I, I think the 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 wow, three. I'm gonna I'm gonna have people angry at me. There's no, so many. There's. Uh, so many. It's hard to narrow it down. Yeah. Well, you know, I think probably one of the the first uh, key influencers that that I had um, when I was working in the editorial on the side of things. And I, it was, you know, I got more red ink coming back in, you know, on, on my stories mm-hmm. than I had, you know, black ink. Mm-hmm. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And you can always go from good to great. It's really mm-hmm. hard to go from great to greater. And I had an editor, mm-hmm. Anna, Alana Halevi, and I don't think she's alive anymore, but um, she was amazing. <laughs> And she pushed me and she pushed me and she pushed me. And then one day I just decided that I was going to change headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Now keep in mind, I'm working for a, a, a nationally known Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper. And I'm all of 20, I don't know, 24. What do I know? But I decided I was going to change some of the content and some of the headlines to the way I thought it really should have been written. And that did not come back with any red ink. Wow. I realized I realized that I was writing. I kept trying to write, not from my soul, but I was trying to write from somebody else's perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that I needed to write from my perspective and see the world differently, so going back to the scene, then I knew the passion that, came out. That yeah. was that was that was really my pivot, and which launched my my editorial career which I still to this day look to that as being core to what I do daily with my PR agency and with my podcast and working with my, my clients is that always know your authentic source, know exactly where you, where you come from. Don't lose sight of that. I, I grew up in back of a, you know, of a, of a, a printing business. I was reporting when I was 10 years old, but I didn't realize that that ultimately was going to be my future job. I just did it because it was fun. And I had access. My family-owned community, um, a whole set of community uh, newspapers, and owned the the printing publishing company that brought those to market. So I had access. And I I was the only one. I'm one of four four girls, and I was the only one that took that access. Mm-hmm. So I think those I think those that's the trifecta that kind of helped define you know my career. That's great. Oh my gosh, I love that. Um, so this has been amazing, Donna. So thank you so much for that. In closing, what advice would you give to a woman who's considering a career in tech? Well, um, never give up, <laughs> constantly look, uh, look for, you know, new career opportunities, seek out experts that might know more than you take mm-hmm. classes, get certified, take uh, evening classes, do whatever it takes to advance yourself and to create a sisterhood and network of, of other women who mm-hmm. are in technology and STEM. And in that sisterhood, there's going to be a lot of great men as well. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, women in, in technology, you know, we're a little bit of a minority, mm-hmm. but there's some amazing men I work with every day that, Allies, yeah. did, that do not see the divide. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's um, 
that to me is inspiring is uh, I'm kind of curious what the next 20 years is going to be like. Yeah. We need male allies in our, in our life to get us to that, you know, equality range that we're trying to get to. And there are so many supportive men that do such an amazing job. So I'm glad you said that. And I think what you said earlier kind of resonated with me too, is to be authentic, right? Bring that authentic source to everything that you do, because that's going to make it real. That's going to show your passion. That's going to show who you are. Exactly. Now that's great. Well, Donna, please share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, one of my favorite places mm-hmm. to hang out, <laughs> as uh, as Donna Laughlin, and that's L O U G H L I N. Or you can go to Before It Happened Show on Instagram or or beforeitHappened.com. And then also, uh, if you want to email me, you can email me at Donna at LMGPR.com. And the LMG stands for Leadership, Momentum, and Growth, because that's ultimately what I do. And uh, that is also the domain name for my my business site, which is an emerging tech PR agency, LMGPR.com. Great. Well, Donna, this was a pleasure and an honor to have you. I really appreciate your time and your insights. Um, Very, very impressive. Your career has been just fascinating to kind of go through and hear the stories so thank you so much and hope to have you on a future show thank you for listening to tech in the right direction please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode also don't forget to like share and comment thank you see you next week from it skill enhancements to end user adoption training Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.